good. I'm Scott Weatherford. I was telling Jonathan, I said, man, that was a good song. I feel like I've been to Texas church this morning. Anybody like me, you're addicted to Western movies? Anybody? 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 Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? I've never met a, a John Wayne movie I didn't think was awesome, even though they're all the same movie, just with different titles, right? But uh, Jonathan, thank you for that. I know you're struggling vocally, but you did a good job. And God bless John Weinbrenner for stepping in last minute. <laughs> Had I known at 15 what you'd turn out to be, I'd probably been nicer to you. But love you, man. It's good. Hey, we're going to have a good time continuing our series on hope renewed. Last week, we talked about living under the canopy of God. Now, one of the miracles of technology, if you missed last week's talk, last week's talk, you could go on and line and listen. Some of you have trouble sleeping at night. My preaching will cure that. It'll help you just fall right off to sleep. Uh, you could ask anybody in the first service. Some of them got a great nap. I had them raise their hands about something, and some guy woke up and said, what are we voting on? So anyway, that was funnier in person than it. Wasn't it funny earlier, Dan? No. Yeah, it was fine. Thank you, Dan. Dan's so kind. He, he really is. I'm glad you're back, Dan. I have not had anybody to pick on while you were on sabbatical. But this week, we're going to talk about the renewed hope of God's power in our lives. Don't you need some power in your life? That's a few, mostly on this side. Y'all are still kind of thinking about that. Don't you need power in your life over in this side? Absolutely. We need the power. Now, we quote this passage of Scripture. In fact, we're going to throw it up on the screen for you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think we'll eventually get it up on the screen. They're back there talking. Hey, throw that Scripture up on the screen. I can do all things... That, that ain't it. That's close. There it is. There it is. Thank you, Michael. That's good. You know, we stand over a 30-foot putt and we say, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That's not what this is about. Or you're in the weight room going, you're, you're going to bench press for hard pounds. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Uh, you know, that's not what it's all about. And we think that's what it's about. You know, we see football players taping under their eyes. We see Philippians 4, 13, you know, Tim Tebow. I do the Tebow kneel, but I couldn't get up. And, um, and it's just, that's not what it's about. But we take those scripture passages and we really want the strength, don't we? But how do we get the power of God? How do we get the strength of God? How does that work in our lives? I've thought about that a lot. And I know that God wants to strengthen us. When we're weary, he wants to build us up. Uh, the, the prophet Isaiah said, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And so as we wait on God, he renews us and restores us. But how do we get that? Uh, living under the presence of God. Now, but what I've discovered this week in, in my preparation, actually over the last several weeks, there's a pathway to God's strength. There's a pathway to God's power. <clears throat> All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. But most of the promises of God are predicated on obedience to God. Except for salvation. Salvation doesn't regard obedience. It regards movement of us giving yourself to Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about the power, the hope for, for your future. And some of you... Living a life, you say, well, everything's going to work out because God's in control. And yes, that's true. But did you know that God gives you a choice? God, give, God will allow you to ruin your life if you want to. That's kind of scary. 
And we're talking about the future, but today we're going to talk about power. How do we get the power? And we quote that passage somewhat out of context, but God wants you to see it in context that there's some behaviors, some lines of obedience that you could follow that will get God's strength to work in your life. And it's not some kind of magical formula. God is not into magical formulas. God is not into karma. God is into obedience that leads to deliverance. Leads to deliverance and leads to his strength in our lives. But how do we get there? So this morning, we're going to take you on a pathway to the power of God from the book of Philippians. Now, before I get to that passage, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So you can follow with me if you take the Bible in front of you or it's going to be projected on the screen. We're going to look at that and look at the pathway to God's power. But before we get there, there's some things I want to remind you of why Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. Philippi was an interesting place. It was a place that Paul and Silas, his sidekick, came into, and they met a woman there named Lydia, and she was, had a little group going, and, and they started a church there, and, and things were kind of rocking along good until a slave girl who uh, was selling uh, silver idols for, a, uh, for her master, uh, something just deeply wrong with all of that, and she was selling idols, and she was, had a demonic spirit. Paul got tired of her falling around, turned around and cast the demon out of her, which shut down the idol selling business, which made the businessman mad. He brought charges against Paul and Silas, had them beaten and thrown into jail. The problem was Paul was a Roman citizen and being beaten and thrown in jail was against the law. And so when the city's officials found out, they had to eat some serious crow. Eat crow while it's warm. Cold crow sticks in your throat. Just good general advice. And so here, here these guys were in the jail but while they were in jail, they, didn't, they weren't overcome by their circumstances. <clears throat> they were overcome by God's grace and his presence. And they were singing songs. And their singing was so wretchedly bad, Jonathan, that an earthquake happened. And they were freed from their shackles. And the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. And he says, and the, Paul says, hey, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And he wasn't talking about, you know, getting right with Jesus, y'all. He was talking about saving his life physically. But Paul gave him a spiritual answer because you are spiritual first and foremost. You are spiritual first and foremost. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And your oikos, it says in Greek. Now, that's not a yogurt. It means household. Of course, the guy responded. Church was launched. Paul and Silas left there because the people ate crow and they left there. And now Paul was writing back to them because he loved them. They had supported him in his ministry and he loved those people. He, was lo he loved those people deeply. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. This entire book of Philippians was written from prison by Paul. He was in another jail. Paul had a kind of a long record. He had a bad rap sheet. Uh, some of y'all can relate to that. <laughs> Different crimes, but still, nonetheless, he was a convicted felon. But he was writing to convey joy in the Lord. Warren Wearsby, who was pastor of the Moody Church for a long time and a great theologian, Warren uh, Wearsby, he says that the, you could call the book of Philippians the joy book. And it wasn't based on circumstances. It was based on God and his deliverance. 
Paul said the key to joy was shifting your focus off of your circumstances and onto your Savior. All for Jesus. When we shift our focus from what we're going through to who, is to, to who is we're going through it with or to whom who's going with us through it, then it changes everything, everything. Uh, some of you wear yellow bracelets uh, that say all for Jesus on it. I had one on just a second ago. If you have one on, hold it up. I, I, okay, there's a few of you. We've got some more of those. We'll get those available. I had one on after the first service. I gave mine away. It was a sweaty, nasty, yellow arm bracelet, and I suggest they might want to put some Perel on it before they put it on them. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But the truth is that shifts our focus that we live all for Jesus. Paul said the key was shifting focus, and he ends the book, this last chapter, telling people, his people that he loved, how to access that joy through the power and the provision of God through the Holy Spirit. So that's why he wrote it. So let's go and find hope renewed in the power of God this morning. Y'all ready for this? That's this side of the room is ready for this. Are y'all ready for this? Good, y'all caught up with them. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're gonna say today, and I pray you'll speak through me, that you'll customize this talk for these people that are listening, either in this room or online, that it's not about me. What I have to say is nonsense and noise. What you have to say is life and peace. So I pray you'll just speak and you'll give us freedom of thought. And Father, we'll walk out of here with a spirit of renewal, a spirit of rededication, a spirit of revival, because we've been in your presence and you have renewed our hope in you. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen. I want to invite you to take out your notes and take you the weekend with you notes. You might want to jot some things down. Also want to remind you of the resources we provide for you online. We have a robust online presence. If you've not signed up for Right Now Media, we need your email so we can send you an invitation to sign up for Right Now Media. Right Now Media is Christian Netflix. It is incredible. There's resources for, for children, there's resources for students, resources for adults, for men, for women. Uh, I called Tara the other day. Tara, Tara has, has risen off her bed of affliction, and she's back in church this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I was so excited that today we're no longer feast, feasting on soup, but there's pulled pork on the menu. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I called Tara the other day and said, hey, baby, what you doing? She says, I'm listening to Francis Chan all right now, media. I said, Francis Chan, Papa Scott ain't enough. <laughs> no, he's not. When you can listen to Francis Chan or several other great communicators. So that's all on right now, media. Send us your, uh, your email so we can sign you up. Also, there's a devotion that goes with this that I provided for you. And there's a uh, group material that I provided for you. We had a group of our students, 11th graders, that got together and watched the video of me teaching this week. How cool is that? They've run out of things to watch. I guess, I guess I'm trumping cat videos on YouTube right now, which is perfect. Y'all are slow, yo. Okay. In fact, it's a catastrophe that y'all missed that. You must be catatonic. Okay. I'll stop now. All right, let's jump into this material, okay? The first thing that I want you to see out of this passage of Scripture, I think God wants you to see, is that power comes from shifting your focus. 
I've already talked about shifting your focus from who you, what, what your circumstances are, are all about you to getting your eyes upon Jesus. The author of Hebrews said it this way, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, some of you say, well, I'd look at Jesus if I could see him. But the truth is that fixing your eyes on Jesus is not a literal fixation, but a fixation of your mind and your heart and your devotion towards Christ. That I fix my focus on him. Listen to what Paul says. He starts off with therefore. Now what he did is for the last three chapters, he's been talking to them about joy in the Lord, joy in the Lord, joy in the Lord. And right before that, he said, forgetting what's behind, I reach forward to what's ahead. And if you're mature, you'll agree with me on this, is what he says. Earlier, he says, have this attitude that's also that Christ Jesus, even though he was God and existed in the form of God, he did not say that the equality God with God was a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. He took off the robes of deity and put on the robes of humanity and lived among us. And he humbled himself. Paul said that. In chapter one, he says, hey, some people preach for profit. I really don't care what they do. I'm not going to compare or criticize other preachers because the gospel is preached. That's a good word to preachers today, period. I grow so weary of hearing one preacher talk bad about another preacher. We're all just idiots. But God is greater than our stupidity. That was an Elber Fudd moment right there, y'all. Okay? He's greater than that. And so, as we, that he talks about, you know, uh, for me to live is, to, is Christ and to die is gain. I, I'm, I'm good. He says, therefore. He's kind of winding up. Of course, he's like any preacher. You think he's going into his conclusion and he preaches another 50 minutes. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, Paul loved these people. I tell pastors all the time, he said, listen, if you don't love God and you don't love people, please don't need to be a pastor. If you love your people, they'll listen to you. They'll listen to you when you can't say big words. <laughs> they'll listen to you. Did, did you know that I love you guys? I love you. I thank God for you. Uh, last night we were at a wedding and um, we saw people that we hadn't seen for a long, long time, people that our church down in Victoria. And they said, so you're in Wimberley now? I go, yeah. He said, they said, who had ever thought you'd go to a little place like Wimberley? I said, not me. God did. They said, why is God? I said, I just love those people. They're weird. I love them. <laughs> I fit. You know, Austin's weird. Wimberley is weirder. That's right, yeah. But, but that's all right. God's doing a good thing here. And I love you guys. And I understand that. And he says this, my joy and my crown. Y'all, my joy and my crown. Joy and my crown. You know, I, we've been watching the Olympics. Have y'all been binge watching the Olympics as well? I mean, I've been so moved. I'm thinking about taking up either curling or figure skating. wonder if we could combine curling with figure skating. Wouldn't that be an awesome Olympic? But we're watching that. And we, of course, we lived in Canada, and uh, Canadians are in third, and they're happy with that. You know, us Americans said, why aren't we at first? You know, it ain't a good Olympics. We came in fourth. Canadians go, hey, yeah, we're got third. Yeah, hey, yeah, it's good, right? Yeah. 
Let's go get a coffee, eh? You know? But I love my Canadians. I post it. I'm so proud of them because they do winter well in Canada. Yeah. They ought to be in first. But the truth is, that's my crown. Then he goes on to say, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then he talks about how this whole book, this whole book of Philippians was about living a different kind of life. And I become what I'm focused upon. And as I read that, I got a little worried because I'm focused right now on the pulled pork we're having for lunch. So maybe I'm going to become pulled pork. Dan, you say I'm a ham already, so maybe I'm shifting to pulled pork. But truly, I, what, do I, what do I fixate on? Fixate on. Uh, in our political environment, if we fixate on politics, we'll miss the power of God, will we not? If we, if we fixate on our sports endeavors, we will miss the power of God. We fixate on our recreation, on our, I'll tell you this. In my life, God is a 10. He's the highest he can be. And Tara is a 9.999999. It's easier sometimes for me to love Tara more than to love Jesus. But she know, you know what she says to me? Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Because as soon as I focus on her and not focus on Jesus, she doesn't get the best of me that she deserves. I had an existential moment last night at the wedding. You know, when I wasn't doing the wedding, so I was Papa at the wedding. And Kayla, our daughter, was in the wedding. And John, his sister, was getting married, so he was kind of tied up. So I got to keep grandbabies. So Tara and I uh, kept the little ones, Lily and, Kay and Ivy. Uh, and rumors going to spread around town that I danced with Ivy at a wedding. And it's true. Now, what, if you want what you call me doing was dancing, looked more like we had tranquilized a bear and he was about to fall asleep. But, that's, but last night, and the music was so loud. And Lily, I was holding her, she fell asleep in my arms. And everything was chaos around us, loud and people partying and having a good time. And Lily was fast asleep in Papa's arms. And I thought, there's no better place to be than in Papa's arms. I want to be in Papa's arms. I want to fix my focus on Christ and live in his arms. But I drift. And Paul was saying, fix your focus. I need power to live on, and I cannot access that power if I'm not focused on the one who gives me power. So I must shift my focus to Jesus. So Paul then goes on to say, okay, you shift your focus, but listen to me. Power's found in unity. When we agree together, there's power. When we disagree, there's the draining of power, the loss of power. I talk to pastors all over this, this United States. In fact, uh, a lot of pastors all over the world. Uh, I'm getting ready to go to Cuba in, in July. Uh, and what I'm going to be doing there in Cuba is training pastors. And I'm going to be able to take two or three people with me. So if you speak Spanish, I want to speak Spanish with you. I don't speak it, but I want you to. Because I might need you to go to Cuba with me to train pastors. One of the things that pastors deal with more than anything is disunity in the church. Listen to what Paul says. I entreat Adoni and Sithike 
to agree in the Lord. Yes, also, as you, as you also, true companion, that's the pastor who's talking to him, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. These two gals were involved in the church plant and, and we got this going and now they're fighting and it's embarrassing. Fix it. Those two names are written in the book of life. Can you imagine when this letter came to the church at Philippi and the pastor cracked it open and he's teaching through it and he gets to the last and he says, Eudonian Scythicae. Could you imagine they went, uh-oh. Wah, wah. Embarrassed for the rest of their lives and the rest of eternity. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to say, there's a donut Scythicae over there. They're, they're going to be over there in the corner eating a Krispy Kreme donut together. But here's the deal. When we get in disunity, if there's disunity in my family with Tara, with my kids, with my neighbors, with you, there's no power. It drains my power. In fact, disunity shifts my focus. Most of the things we disagree about we're in disunity don't matter. Now in the church, we say, well, I disagree with so-and-so about their theology. Don't fool us. You don't know that much. Come on. I hear... You know, and what it truly is, this most disunity in churches is not theological, it's relational. You can get your way. Or somebody said to you something that they shouldn't have said because they're sinful or sloppy or something. And what we need to do is have a tender heart and forgive each other and overlook each other's faults because love covers a multitude of sins, but we make it theological. And we say, well, why don't you go to that church? Why don't you go to that church anymore? Why aren't you involved in that family anymore? In fact, church is not what you go to. It's something, it's people you connect with. Why aren't you going well, that pastor just didn't feed me anymore. Really? Why don't you feed yourself? Why don't you learn how to read your God's word and feed yourself? Most of us are like a pig with a biscuit. We really don't need another one. We complain. Oh, he said, well, you know, that church doesn't preach the Bible anymore. Really? It's because you got your knickers in a knot over they didn't sing your favorite song. Actually, Jonathan, I'm a little aggravated today. You didn't sing Shout to the Lord. Because you ain't going to sing it again. Yeah, that's right. You just get over your aggravation, right? That's, so it's ridiculous things like that. But there's more to it in disunity. Unity is embarrassing. Disunity is embarrassing because of Christ. And the distraction of, bringing, of being dis, in disunity derails the power of God working in you, for you, through you, and in form through the church. The only thing in all creation God asks you to maintain is unity. He maintains everything else, but He asks us to maintain unity through the bond of peace. So any attitude I have that causes disunity is sinful. Whew. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? Especially if you grew up Baptist where you vote on everything. <laughs> Brother Pastor, I believe we ought to have toilet paper in the, in the bathroom. Everybody in favor say aye, aye, unopposed, no. <laughs> we just won't keep them honest. We want to vote about everything. Really? And that's why good structure produces good clarity. 
But let me move on for that because power is also found in an attitude of joy. So there's unity of the Spirit. We're agreeing together. But then there's an attitude of joy. Joy is not based on your circumstances. God does not want you to be happy. God wants you to be joyful. Happy is tied to your circumstances. Joy is tied to Jesus. Joy is tied to Jesus. Paul said this way, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So in my spirit of joy, people know that God is near. I I like what it says in the King James Version. It says, let your forbearing spirit, forbearing spirit, which really means this. Okay, get this. In your brain, there's a a place called the the, uh, amygdala. And the amygdala literally gives off vibrations that you receive and you pick up. That's really where our brain works. So the beach boys were right about, I'm picking up good vibrations. That might be the only thing they were right about other than getting Rhonda to help them. That's probably the only (laughs) thing they were right about. That is so ridiculous. Anyway, you give off joy as a gift to others through your amygdala. When we came here for the first time, a bit about a year ago, we picked up joy as we came in the door from some of y'all. Now, some of y'all, your miglio is saying something else. But are we giving off that joy in the Lord? And it's not tied to our circumstances. I know some people that are going through a battle with cancer and they're full of the joy of the Lord. How could that be? I know some people who have children that are breaking their hearts, but they still have joy in the Lord. How could they be? I know some people that are struggling with unanswered prayer of healing, of infertility, or of of some other heartbreak, but they still have joy in the Lord. How could that be? Because the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in our lives gives us joy. Now, I want to tell you something. I want you to listen to me. If you've trusted Christ, if you prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart, you have the abiding presence of the Lord in you right now. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with him? Always practicing spiritual schizophrenia where we let Jesus influence us only upon occasion and the formality of a gathering or in a group. Or do we experience Jesus on the ongoing daily abiding in him and trusting in him, living under his canopy, as it were? Wow. And without the abiding presence of Jesus, being conscious of the abiding presence of Jesus or having that abiding presence of Jesus, joy is impossible because you'll be tossed around about your circumstances. I want power. It comes from Christ. It comes from abiding in him, rejoicing in him. Power is found when I stop worrying. Dead gummit. I'm going to talk about this. Some of y'all were worried I was going to get there, weren't you? I mean, worried about this. Paul says it this way. Don't be, do not be anxious about anything, but everything 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now stop right there. I want to talk about this word supplication. What, is, what in the world does the word supplication mean? By prayer, we know what that is, talking to God. Supplication, what, what does that mean? That means by pleading. That means intentionality of praying, praying. You know, God never needs a reminder. Did you know that? God does not have an assistant who reminds him of when he has scheduled appointments. He doesn't need that. I need it. And I need in supplication to remind myself I'm tied to a holy God. So I'm going to pray about this and I'm going to plead about this. But you know what it also means? I'm going to invite you to plead with me. We're going to plead together. Why should we plead together? Because there's joy together and there's unity together. And therefore there's power together. Oh, that's why when we pray together, there's power because there's unity and there's joy and there's, we're going to stop worrying. Man, I might could spend a whole series on that. Let your request be made known to God. And this is what happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you will not know what that means until you experience what that is. And when you experience it, you said, I don't want to live anywhere else like, but like that. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And that literally what Paul's saying is that God will set up a sentry post around your heart and your mind. He will guard you. Now, I drive a Ford pickup truck, F-150. Four-wheel drive, black. I love my truck. I got my truck in Canada. It's the speedometers in kilometers. It's always fun when somebody rides, me, rides with me for the first time, and I'm going 120 down the road. They go, oh, Pastor Scott, you're driving a bit quick here, aren't you? I said, yeah, you think I'm fast. Look at these people going by me. You know, 120 is about 75. You know, so it's in kilometers. It's an older truck now, and so I had to change the battery. And when I changed the battery, opened up, my battery had insulation around it about that thick. It was insulated all around. I've never seen a battery that was insulated before. Also in my truck, there was a, there's a thing called a block heater that I can literally plug my truck into a wall socket and it will keep the oil in my truck from freezing. You know you live someplace cold when you need a block heater in your, in your vehicle. When we first moved to Canada, Tara thought everybody drove an electric car because she could see the plug hanging down from... It's funnier then than it is now. But, but those two things, the insulation and the block heater, were the protection for my vehicle. God wants to protect your heart and your soul. Now, when I replaced my battery, I threw away that insulation and went around it. Why? Because I live in Texas. Bless God. No more 40 below. Could y'all imagine 40 below here? We'd just die. <laughs> Willingly, just die. In the presence of Jesus, dead. So God wants to guard my heart and my mind. Why? With his abiding presence, 
because he doesn't want me to worry. He wants me to find peace. And he said, I got this. I got this. Got this. Man, I'm better at teaching this than I'm living it. But Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, is there anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, what he was saying here is that, okay, you're worried about this. You be thankful that I'm moving. You let me guard your heart and mind. And I'm going to give you peace of heart and peace of mind. And we'll set up a security. Then I want you to start thinking about these things. Don't think about your troubles. Think about what's true, honorable, and just. What's lovely and commendable, pure. What's excellent and worthy of praise. What's excellent. You know what, guys, with us, what gets us in trouble most times, our thought life. What if we started taking captive our thoughts with these scriptures? Instead of thinking about what's false, I want to think about what's true. I want to think about what's honorable. I want to think about what's just. I want to think about what's pure. I'm not going to think about what's not pure. I'm going to think about what's lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. I want to shift my thinking. Girls, what if you did the same thing? What if you stopped worried about what somebody was posting on Facebook and you start worried about these things? What if you stop worried about a Twitter feed or a Snapchat feed or, or an Instagram and you start worried about these things? You would kill the drama in your life, wouldn't you? You would shift your thinking and peace would come into your heart. And then Paul says this lastly. He says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What Paul was saying, he said, hey, you know what? I'm your pastor and I love you and I lived among you so you could watch me. And what he was saying, follow me while I follow Christ. A year ago, Tara and I lived in New Braunfels, Texas. We had a great house there. We loved our house there. Uh, it was new. Nobody lived there before but us. And we, we lived there in New Braunfels. And then I started coming up to Wimberley to preach. And, and you guys lost your mind last summer and asked me to be your pastor. And then, and then I, we moved to Wimberley. New Braunfels, that was awesome. I mean, it's close to Bucky's. Does it get any better? The place that's named after a giant beaver's got to be a great place, right? And it was, we, we, we had a new home there and it, it was awesome. And we moved up here. Do you know why we moved up here? Because we had to live among you. We had to live among you. Dan, I had to be your neighbor so I could live among you. Steve and Kath lived closer. I had to live among them. Really live among them. We had to live among the 10 billion deer that live in our yard. But no, seriously, follow me while I follow Christ. I'm not perfect. I don't say that with arrogance. I say that with great humility. Don't look too close. But follow me as I follow Christ because we're in this together. Discipleship is made by one follower showing another follower, showing another follower, showing another follower, showing another follower who Jesus is. 
And that's what the church is about. You know, there's going to come a time in my life, and probably is right here, right now, that I'm going to need you to act like Jesus so I can follow you until I can follow Jesus. Oswald Chambers, in his great devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says this, we have to become broken bread and poured out wine so people can feed off of us until they can feed off Jesus. We are literally better together. Better together. Pretty soon, I don't know how long now, but we're working on, we want to do it right. We're going to start a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And this is for everyone who's got a hurt, habit, or hang up. That'd be all of us, right? This is a great ministry we're going to start. And um, I told this to the guys on Thursday night. We had a great group of guys Thursday night. <clears throat> we had tacos. It was awesome. Hey, on the 22nd, young guys, we're going to get together early, play bubble ball. I'm not going to play it, but y'all can play it. And because it'll be broken hip ball, Pastor Scott's dead ball. <laughs> but we're going to have a campfire experience on that on the 22nd of March. You look forward to that. But I, I was telling the guys on Thursday night that I was talking to a young man this week who's addicted to brake fluid. Yeah, he says he could stop anytime. That was really funny, and y'all just got to get it. He could stop anytime. All right, sorry. So I'm going to shift my thanking. Finally, power comes through, con- com- to, through contentment. Through contentment. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What had happened is the the Philippians, the the church at Philippi, they had sent Paul an offering, but they'd been a lapse because they were very poor. And now they'd sent him another gift. And so what Paul was doing this whole book, he was was writing an extended thank you note. You know, I write thank you notes like, dear so-and-so, thank you so much for whatever, and God bless you, love, Pastor Scott. Paul writes whole dadgum epistle. Because that's Paul, and that's the difference between Paul and me. But now I'm speaking, I'm not speaking of being in need. And this is what he said. For I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. What? <coughs> See, Paul had killed entitlement in his life. The nastiest demons in hell are arrogance, entitlement, and elitism. And Paul had killed it because he said all for Jesus. He wasn't entitled. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. He said he learned the secret. He says right there, I've learned a secret. What was it? All for Jesus. All for Jesus. So when there's unity and joy, trust, the absence of worry, and contentment, there's power. Then, then, I can do all things through him who gives, who strengthens me. It's not about the 40-foot putt or the 400-pound bench press. 
or making the great athletic play or finding the parking place at the mall. It's about the pathway of power and that's dependence upon a savior. Do you want to have power in your life? Come to Jesus. Shift your focus. And then you'll find the power of God flowing through your life so he could do something through your life for his glory and your good. I grew up in a church that often would talk about revival. And revival in the church I grew up with was always an event. It started on a Sunday and it went to a Wednesday and there was Tuesday night pizza night for students and it was the revival choir was going to sing and, and we never had revival. We just had an event. But First Baptist Wimberley, I want to tell you something. We're in revival right now and it's not an event. It's a renewing of our hearts and our minds as we are, our hope is renewed in him as our life is renewed in him, as we lead into him. I grew up also at a church that would call for people to make rededications. They'd literally walk down the aisle and they'd shake the preacher's hand and say, Lord, preacher, I'm coming to rededicate my life. And the formality of some kind of public announcement only to walk out the same. They had an emotional experience and not a life change. What I'm inviting you to do today, every one of you in this room, one or two things. Number one, if you've never trusted Jesus, today's the day. Today's the day to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Because he wants you and he loves you. You can't outsend him. You can't outstupid him. He loves you and he wants you to come to him. Give your life to Christ. Next Sunday, we're gonna baptize some folks. Maybe you need to be one of them. On the card, the commitment card that's in the, in the pew rack in front of you, you can sign up for baptism. We will baptize you tomorrow. I mean, not tomorrow, next Sunday. And it's gonna be a great Sunday with the ministry uh, step up and serve fair we're gonna have and, and baptism. And then that evening I'm teaching uh, how to find your shape for service. It's gonna be a great week. It's a great time for you to step up and be baptized and be renewed. So if that's you, then make that decision. The second thing, if you've trusted Christ, why don't you do what I'm going to do and rededicate yourself? Not in the formality of walking an aisle to leave the same, but the commitment in your heart that says, Jesus, I'm yours. Do you know how often I have to rededicate myself? about every other minute because I'm prone to wonder. But God never forsakes me. He never leaves me. And he'll never leave you. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what your word has said to us this morning. And I pray that we will not walk out of this place the same, but we'll walk out of this place changed, different. Father, some in this room 
They need to give their lives to you for the first time. They've never trusted you. They've never said yes to you. And today's their day. I pray, Father, that they will have the courage to simply say, Jesus, I'm yours. If that's you right now, why don't you just whisper that to Jesus? Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. I thank you that you died for me on the cross and you rose again from the grave. And I believe you. I believe in you. I give you my life. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. And I'll live for him. Father, there's some like me in this room that I, I need to say to you, and I'm just going to say to it, Jesus, I'm yours. I am yours. My brokenness, my, my sin, my rebellion, I'm yours, Jesus. And I thank you that you've saved me. And I thank you that you're not done working on me. And I commit myself anew to you today. Jesus, I'm yours. Folks, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and if you're, if you're already a believer, can you just hold out your hands in front of you just quietly and say, Jesus, I'm yours. It's Jesus, I'm yours. And have a spirit of revival and renewal, rededication. As God has renewed our hope for his power. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We commit ourselves to you. And we commit ourselves to one another in the church. Because Jesus, we are yours. We pray this in your name. Amen.